talking about is, um, we've been talking about prayer, and we've been talking about what God's, you know, the prayer being an exchange of wishes, and what God has wished for us. And last week, we looked at this idea that what God wishes for us more than anything is that we would know him better. That Paul's prayer for the Ephesians was that, he, that we would be blessed, that we would receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know God better. And I think this is a really important thing for us to grasp because in the, when, as we walk with Christ, as we walk with God in Christ and we are now his children, related to him, adopted into his family and Jesus being our brother and, co, and we are co-heirs with him. The fact that he would write through the Apostle Paul that his desire for us that we would have a spirit of, of wisdom and revelation that we might know him better is really a colossal thought. Because it do, what it doesn't say is, I want you to have a spirit that allows you to do more things, to be able to do or don't, to be able to live out this list of rules. It's not what it says. I want you to know me better. I want to stop there for a minute. Because what we need to recognize is that God's, what God has done is created, created us in such a way as to have a relationship with us. And the purpose of that relationship was for us to enjoy him. No, for us to enjoy him. His desire is that we would enjoy him. Now, I want us to think about this in understanding and knowing somebody better. How do we, how do we function with somebody when we know them better? How do we, how do we function with them when we, when we grow in trust with them, when we grow in love with them, when we grow in, in camaraderie with them? How do, we, how do we act toward one another? How do we do, is there a greater amount of respect and dignity and grace afforded? Is there more trust being built? Is there a desire to please them? Is there a desire to, to, to not grieve them or hurt them? Is that not what happens in the context of a real relationship? See, and, and, and so what we looked at, one of the things we looked at last week was the fact that, you know, Jesus said my, frankly, he said, my love language is obedience. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. And the one who has my commands and holds to them is the one who loves me. And when we do that, I, the, he says, the father, my father and I will come and make a home with you. And what I said last week is really important for us to continue to remember. We need to change our perspective and our understanding of what God's commands are. Because when we hear obedience and we hear command, we tighten right up. And God's whole point is, I know I've made you, and I've won you to myself, and I know exactly what is best for you. And if you would follow my prescription, it would go well with you. And the reason I have done this the way I've done it is because I love you, and this is my expression of love to you. Trust me. And we know we grow in trust. We know that takes time but let's take the time. And we know relationships take effort, but let's put in the effort. It is no different in the context of a friendship, and that's what we've talked about. Aaron, come here for one minute, if you would. This is my friend Aaron. Everybody say hello, Aaron. No, everybody say hello, Aaron. Man, you need to be beaming over. Okay, here's the deal. I've known Aaron since he was like 16 or 17 years old. I knew Aaron before he was a Christian. I knew when he became a Christian. I've watched him grow in his faith. So for how many years then? 10 years or so? We've been walking at least sometimes at a distance, sometimes really close. But as we've grown over you know, nine or 10 years in terms of a relationship, what we've done is we've grown in trust, we've grown in knowledge, we've grown in, in working together in service and mission. You know what's so neat about this? The more we grow, the more I know about him, the more I know of him, actually the closer we get, and the more I want to know. And this is important, this is a really important concept as we move forward. How we invest in one another, and listen, not every friendship is gonna be super close, and not every friendship means that you have to spend every waking moment with that person. Friendships are built over time with fits and starts and close seasons and seasons of distance. Sometimes you get along and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you say things that makes the other person happy and sometimes you say things that can be hurtful. That's the ebb and flow of relationship. But that, that's what makes a relationship rich as it's bent and twisted and turned and, and dug up and stretched. And that happens only over time and it happens only with effort. You make time. Go ahead and sit there. And if you would, we're gonna, I'm going to be picking on 
Aaron Moses. Okay, so here we go. Grab your notes, if you would, and let's start reading this. Okay, so just follow along with me as I read, and we're going to do a quick intro here. The title is Loving is Natural, Learning to Love, That's Wisdom. Let me say that again. Loving is natural. It's natural to love. Learning to love is wisdom. Learning to love is wisdom. Knowing that we need to grow in our ability to love and then love effectively is the beginning of that wisdom. Let me stop there for a minute. Sometimes we don't realize that we, you know, because we love naturally and we just want to express that love and that's what we do, we don't, sometimes we don't realize that we might have some insufficiencies in our ability to love. We might have some lacking in our capacity to love. We might not love the person, that, the beloved, as, as well as we could if we recognized that we need to grow in our ability to love, that we have some, some limitations. But you see, it's our limitations that invites God in to grow, to grow us. That's when we, when we recognize our limitations, when we recognize our inabilities. What that does is it forces us to examine ourselves and say, okay, where can I improve? Where can I grow? Where can I deepen? Where do I need help? There's a phrase I've been coining recently that in my own mind, um, and, I've, and I've said it a number of times, my, my limitation is your invitation. My limitation of my ability to love is God's invitation to teach me how to love. Because if I don't think I need to be taught how to love, then I'm not going to put any effort into learning how to love better. I'm not going to examine the way I love and the people that I love and whether or not I love them well. Does that make sense? We are called to love, yes, but there's actually a deepening and a, and, a, and a maturing of the type of love that we're called to love. So knowing that we need to grow in our ability to love and then love effectively is the beginning of that wisdom. And, we are willing, and as we are willing and able to see our limitations and admit to our inability to love completely and effectively. That, that, okay, so what the proverb talks about is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is essentially recognizing love. And this is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, it says in 1 John that God is love. He is the definition of love. Amen. All right, so here I am, and I don't recognize love necessarily. I certainly don't see God. And when I see God rightly for the first time, it puts everything in proportion. And one of the things it puts in proportion is the fact that God is love, and he loves me. And that's a scary thing. That can create some fear. Because when all of a sudden I realize the God, the creator God, the God of the universe knows my name and loves me where I am and sees through me, sees through all the facades that I place up and he sees right through to my heart, that's paralyzing. Like, Gaia! Well, here's the deal. What God is doing in exposing us to that kind of love is actually showing us what love is for the first time. Because there's no way for us to understand love unless we've seen God for who he is. So God is love, and therefore God loves. And God being wisdom is wise, and therefore God loves wisely. And so God loves us in wisdom, and he calls us to love one another in wisdom. What is it to love wisely? Certainly it is to love, but it is to love and grow in our ability to love. Our wisdom enables and empowers us to love at just the right time, in just the right way, and with just the right manner. And this according to one's own ability and capacity to love, and that in relation to the one who, who we love. And then to grow in our ability to love according to the other's need. Now, so what I want to do is I want to look at each one of those sentences very quickly. So, first of all, wisdom enables and empowers us to love at just the right time, just the right way, in just the right manner. Think about this for a minute. I might, let, come here again, Aaron. Aaron and I have a relationship, and, and what, in, the, in the context of time, in the, in, the, in the context of this relationship, what I need to do is learn how to love him the right way, at the right time, with the right manner. So, depending on where we are in the relationship determines the manner in which I love him. It determines how I love him. It, term, it determines how I express that love to him. And it has changed over the years. As we have grown more and more in relationship, more and more in trust, I can express my love to him in different ways. In fact, as, I, as that relationship grows, I need to express my love to him in different ways. I can, I can expose him to areas of my life now that I couldn't 10 years ago. I can say things to him that I couldn't say to him 10 years ago. I can say things that are difficult for him to hear now because we've developed 10 years of trust that I couldn't say to him right out of the chute. This is how we grow in love. This is how we grow in parenting. This is how we grow in relationships. 
And this takes some effort, and it takes some time. Go ahead and sit down. I mean, you're gonna be getting up and down, so here we go, ready? So, the next thing is that we need to learn that we, we have a certain capacity to love. Right here, right now, we have a certain capacity to love. And we need to recognize what that capacity is, because sometimes we have difficulty saying no, and learning the wisdom of loving by saying no. And then the third thing, the third, so first is I'm called to love, second is I need to recognize my capacity and ability to love that I can love naturally. But the third thing is to grow in the wisdom of how to love. And that is when I learn to love somebody according to their needs, not my need to love. Anybody ever feel like they need to love somebody? Like they see them, they have compassion on them, they need to express that, they just have this, ah, I got it, oh yeah. And so we do. We go, yeah, I love you, awesome. But you know what we don't always do? What we have to grow into is learning how to love them according to their needs. Finding out what their love language is, finding out what their, where, where it is their, their personality, what, what, their circumstance. What would best express love to them now according to their need, not my need to express it? That's depth, and that's wisdom, and that's consideration. And those are things we have to grow in. So if we read on now, if you follow along with me, this all takes wisdom and this all takes time. There are many things to learn about love and how to best express it. And for whose good, uh, and for whose good. One thing that, we must, that must be learned is that not all, looks, not all love looks the same. It doesn't all act the same and love doesn't give the same way. Okay, now I need both of you guys. Come here for a minute. All right, so these two, how long have you guys been married? Four years. Four years. Oh, my goodness. You, you look like you're 12 years old. <laughs> Don't they? And now I look like 100. I look like, you know, 60 here. Now I look like 100 between these two. Here's the wonderful thing about what love is and as, as God loves us. And we'll go deeper into this. I've known Aaron for a long time. I've known him longer than I've known Jasmine. You know, what's really cool is I love Aaron, and I love the way I love Aaron, and it feels good the way I love Aaron, so I like the way I love Aaron. And I just like it. It's effective. It's good. I like it. So you know what I've decided? I've decided that I'm going to love Jasmine the same way I love Aaron. That because I know this love works, I think I'm going to apply it right to Jasmine. Because it worked for him, it ought to work for her. Is that fair? Is that wise love? Is that deepening and maturing love? Or does actual love recognize that there's a difference between these two people? Not only is there a difference between these two people, but there's a difference, between, difference in the type of relationship that I have with each one of them and what my role may or may not be in each one of their lives. And then, then I would get to know them each according to who they are, their personality, their bent, and, and their ages, their station life, their gender, everything about them that I would take the time to learn each one and then love them according to their need to who they are. Love isn't the same. It is not unfair for me to love Aaron one way and Jasmine another. In fact, it's the very opposite. That's the only thing that is fair. When the Proverbs say that we grow in wisdom and then we, we do what's right and just and fair, you know what's right and just and fair? That I would love each of them according to who they are in relation to them. And that takes wisdom. That takes consideration. That takes care. Listen, that takes time. These are all things that our world wars against. But the greatest gift I can give either one of these two is to love them according to who they are. Thank you. You know why that's true? Because that's what God does. That's exactly what God does. God sees me has made me, knit me together in my mother's womb, knew me at that time. In doing so, recognizing who I am, having made me the way I am, he calls me by name and he meets me personally right where I am. And then he draws me to himself one step at a time as he knows me. And he does that for every one of us. Each one of us is loved exactly that way. That's how gracious and faithful and loving and wise our God is. And he's saying, listen, I've given you the ability to do this. And we're going, what? Well, yeah. God loved me that way, and he tells me to love others the way he, he has loved me, the way he's demonstrated it. And here's the second thing. He's empowered me to do it. 
because God can do it. He now dwells in me, which enables me now also to do it. I can love like God loves. The question is, will I? The question is, will I? Okay, so do me a favor. Turn to Romans. This is a, a, a quick review, a very quick review of something we looked at last week. I mean a really quick review. Really, really quick. This quick. Not this quick. That would be different. But this quick. And I'm going to pray before we read it. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us the way you do, and you would do so, uh, mm, that you just express yourself to us in a way that is... Uh, both corporate, that you love the entire body, but also individually, that you love us right where we are and you meet us where we are. And, you, and with great wisdom, you guide us from where we are to where you want us to be, one step at a time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so go to verse four. We're just gonna look at verse four and we're gonna pull a principle out of this. Romans two, I'm sorry. Oh, Elise, oh, I love you. You know, I'm gonna pick on, can I pick on you for one second? Okay, she and I know each other, and we love, sarcasm is like our language. She goes, she goes like this, which one? Which, which chapter? Did you even say? We were lost. <laughs> now we're found, awesome. All right, so I just, okay, all right. My, this is my mic pack. I, was, I just want to, okay, all right, sorry. Oh, Elise, ready? Chapter two. Verse four, all right, awesome. okay, here we go. Look what it says. Now he's talking about how we judge one another and we're talking about how we look at one another and he's saying, listen, when you judge and you do, do the very thing you just judge that person for, you've done something wrong. And this is, you're not gonna escape God's discipline. Look at verse four. Do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, his tolerance, and his patience with you? Not realizing that it's God's kindness that is intended to bring us, that's what he uses to bring us to repentance. Now, there's a couple things I want us to see in this, in terms of the principles we're going to begin to to apply. And that is that God takes his time. God takes his time. He's patient with us. No, God is patient with us. In other words, he's willing to wait long-suffering. He's willing to bear up who we are and bear us up to be patient as we learn to go about our lives the way he has called us to. He takes his time. He doesn't rush us. He doesn't push us. He doesn't prod us. He coaxes. He encourages. He moves us. That's the way God loves us. And then he's tolerant. He bears with our sin. He doesn't crush us. Knowing that we're made of dust and knowing that we, we, we fall short, he has compassion on us. And so he tolerates the things about us that don't yet match Jesus, waiting for the moment that that little piece breaks off and we look more like him. Do we understand how beautiful a thing this is? And that God is kind enough to not rush us through the process? He takes his time. And in that, he's expressing his kindness, his gentle care. He's gentle with us. But are we gentle with ourselves? Are we gentle with one another? Are we patient as we move forward, literally tottering back and forth, teetering, walking a fine line, recognizing that I can only be what I am today? By God's grace, I can only be what I am today. And he loves me enough to meet me where I am and loves me even more to not leave me there, but to take my foot and place it on the next stone. This is love and this is wisdom that God wants this to be richly rooted deeply in us. And that's what it takes to learn to love and to love wisely. So, do me a favor now. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. 
Philippians chapter 1. Now, in Ephesians, a couple weeks ago, we read that, you know, when I repeated the prayer at the beginning of the service, Paul prayed for us, God through him, that what he wants for us, that his wishes for us, is that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know him better. And, and then he repeat, he, Paul again prays for the Philippians. He puts it this way. This is Philippians 1, verse 9. All right? And this is, this is Paul praying again. He says, this is my prayer, that you may abound more and more in what? In what? Knowledge and depth of insight. That you would be able not only to know, but then to dig underneath to understand the significance of what it is you're beginning to know. Who it is you're beginning to know. That you would gain insight into the nature of this person, God. You would gain, in, in doing so, in learning to do that, we will also be able to apply into our, our other relationships this knowledge, learning, growing in knowledge of the person who we love, and then gaining insight in the nature of, listen, the nature of who they are. Caring enough to learn what their nature is, and then to love them according to that nature. There's a beautiful proverb that says, raise up a child in the way you should go. In the end, he what? He will not turn away from it. <sighs> in the original language, it's a little different than that. What it actually says is, raise up a child according to their bent, according to their nature. And in the end, they will not turn away from it. Now, this is a really important nuance. Those of us who have multiple children realize that not every one of our children is the same. Now, our tendency, especially when we get tired, is to want to treat them the same. But the fact of the matter is, is they're different. And what enables us as parents to be, have a richer relationship with our kids and a more effective relationship with each one of our children is that we learn their nature. We learn their bent. And we learn to love them and communicate with them and discipline them and, and guide them according to their bent. This is when usually somebody in the family, one of the kids in the family, go, it's not fair that he got to do that and she didn't and you go, whoa, young lady, come here. I say that because it was Rachel who would always say. No, All right, so. <laughs> I love my Rachie. I love my Rachie. She's not watching. Um, this is usually when one of the children will say, why do they get to do such and such and I don't? Or why did I get in trouble for that and they didn't? What? Well, Why? That's when we have the privilege of sitting down with them and explaining to them how I love you because I know you this way and how I love Sarah because I know her this way and how I love Anthony because I know him this way and how I love Ian because I know him this way. And when we dignify each one of our children according to their nature and raise them accordingly, that dignifies them. That esteems them. That helps them recognize that they as an individual person was worthy of the time and the effort to invest in them specifically. And the reason in the end they will not turn away from it is because they have been loved exactly the way God, lo well, as much as we can, exactly the way God loves us. Met right where they are by name, by nature, and raised up accordingly. And because of that, they realize how deep and rich and real this love is. We get to do, listen, we get to do, we get to do this. God loves us that way. That's the way we're called to love. And then he's enabled us to love it. And this is what makes relationships rich. And frankly, this is what can make the church rich. As we read something like first, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12, and it speaks of the body and all of us being made individually, and each one of us bringing our bent to the body and being greatly appreciated, and, 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 and being connected, and respected, and dignified for who you are, and the way you've been made, and then allowed to fit. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, I'm not going any further yet. I just think this is beautiful. And I think this is the reality of the kingdom of heaven. I think this is the reality of how God loves us. And I think this is the reality of how we're allowed to love. We just have to be patient with each other as we learn how to do it. Let me say that again. We need to learn to be patient with each other as we learn how to do this. Because we're not always going to get it right. We're not. We're, it's not always going to be perfect. Uh, we're not always going to be pleasing to one another. Who gives a hoot? If we really love, we get past those things. Does that make sense? It seemed like a quiet group this morning. Maybe, maybe it's just me. All right, so here we go. So, 
In Philippians, it says this, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, the nature of things, so that you may be able to discern what is what. What is what? You may be able to discern what is best. Well, what is best? How to love God and how to love others. That's all that matters to God. Remember this. Christianity is nothing but a relationship. That's it. That's it. What makes true, genuine, Holy Spirit-driven, regenerated people, Christianity, different than any other religion in the world? That it is a personal creator, God, who, who created us personally, knew us personally, ran after us, pursued us, grabbed us, took it, taken us into his family, died, allowed his son to die on our behalf to do that. To bring us into what? Rules and law? No, into an intimate relationship with a heavenly father. And then builds a family to express that affection and that enjoyment, both between us between us and God and one another. The redemption of the soul of the human being is into a beautiful relationship. That's what it's about. That's all it's about. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are a relationship. Perfect community, perfect fellowship. They enjoy each other so much that they said, you know what, we're gonna have kids so they can enjoy us too. And then they get to enjoy one another. Wouldn't it be awesome if that's how we figured out that that's what our Christianity is actually about? That God loves himself so much that he wanted to create us so that we can enjoy him too and that he can enjoy us and we can enjoy one another and that's what it's about, learning to love wisely? Wouldn't that just change our entire perspective of life and church and one another? Well, since that's the truth, why don't we do that? Since that's God's intention, why don't we move that way? Why don't we begin to peel off all the garbage and go, oh, Carrie, I love you. I'm gonna make you mad once in a while. You're gonna make me mad once in a while, but you know what, I think we'll stick. We're a brother and sister, that's okay. Does that make sense? Am I being too New York-y today? No. Okay, all right. Because my New York self is starting to come up. All right, so here we go. So he wants us to know what's best, and look what it says there. So that we, so you may be able to discern, this is verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what, um, what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to, and to the glory of God. And so, take a look at your notes. We had, we had this list of wisdom, right? And I, I just want to review it very quickly. We're not going to belabor this. We've looked at it a couple times. But we looked at these things, and one of the things I, what I want us to make sure is this. The most important jewel here in learning how to do this, in learning to love wisely, is prudence. It's prudence. What does prudence do? Prudence is what enables us to take a step back. Now, one of the things that I was praying about this morning, I didn't talk about last night that I feel like I need to talk about today, as I, I was spending time in prayer, and is this. How do you develop prudence? I thought to myself, okay, we've been talking about prudence, but how do you develop it? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. And if this is as far as we get, we've gotten far, okay? Because prudence, all right, okay, let me ask you, how fast does the American culture go? Slow, medium, fast, fast. Okay, how fast is time going? Anybody, 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 anybody? Is it going down the drain or is it me? All right, gone. You know what prudence is? It's the antithesis of the American culture. If there is a single attribute in the scriptures that wars against the American culture in a more violent way than anything else, it's prudence. Because prudence holds back. Prudence develops patience. Prudence forces us to take consideration. Listen, you wanna know how to develop prudence? Be considerate. Oh no. Be considerate. This is hard. Because to be considerate means when you walk into a room, the first thing you do is you examine the room and you look at each person in the room and the nature of the room and you take into consideration what your behavior, attitude, posture, tone of voice, your very presence. You have to take into consideration what, how that is going to affect the entire group and everybody in the group. And then you act accordingly. 
That's prudence. Prudence says when I see somebody and I realize that there's a need, prudence says, wait a minute, what's the best way to meet that need? Wait a minute, would I actually be enable this person if I were to meet this need this way? Stop. See, prudence forces us to stop and pray. Prudence forces us to take into consideration the needs of the people around us. Prudence forces us to look at the room and decide what consequence will I bring as I enter this room with my agenda. This is one of the hardest disciplines in the entire scriptures because prudence is the one that says, put yourself to the side, take into consideration everyone around you. Prudence lets us be wise. I'm gonna show you, watch this. So, go to Proverbs chapter two if you would. Is anybody else really hungry? Golly, all of a sudden it just hit me like hunger. <laughs> all right, so this is what I want us to see. This, is, this takes time, but it also takes effort. So Peter in his epistle says, listen, God's given you everything you need for life and godliness, and this is what I want you to do. I want you now to make every effort to add to this faith that you have all these things. And if you'll do this, It'll make you effective and productive. So he says, listen, you have everything you need. Now you make the effort. I have done all these things. I have made the effort to, to initiate the relationship, to pursue you, to grab you, to save you, to forgive you. I've done all these things. I've embedded my Holy Spirit in you. That power that I exerted when I exerted the strength to raise Jesus from the dead is the very power I just placed in you. And you have everything you need for life and godliness through your relationship with me. Now you make every effort. Awesome. But what does that mean? What does it mean to make an effort? Right? No, stop. Philippians 2, look. Proverbs 2, look. <laughs> First one, at least, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Her head's just blowing up over here. Okay, so here we go. Ready? Not getting big as conceited, but... Oh, was it? okay, no, it's all right. That was Kim. All right, so here we go. It says, my son... This is, now, this is essentially a father speaking to his children. This is God speaking to us. He said, my son or daughter, if you do what? If you do what? What's that next word? If you accept my words. Nah, stop for a minute. It doesn't take a ton of effort to accept somebody's words, does it? Okay, here it is. They're saying, oh, I can accept that. But if we stop there, we have this intellectual assent to, okay, yeah. And then we walk away. The every effort adds to this. Watch. My son, if you accept my words and do what? What's it say next? Store up my commands within you. Now this takes a little bit more effort, doesn't it? Because here's the deal. It's one thing to accept the words, but you know what the word, you know when it says store up my commands, you know what it actually means? As, as a treasure. I want you to cherish this and place it somewhere safe, somewhere where it can be kept. So he's not just saying grab them and store them. He's saying treasure them, cherish them, and put them in a place of value. Wherever you would enclose something you value, that's what I want you to do. So accept the words and then store them. That takes a little more effort, doesn't it? You know what? It doesn't stop there. Look what it says next. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you and you begin to turn your ear to wisdom, in other words, I give it my attention. I recognize, I'm beginning to recognize the voice of wisdom and I turn toward it. And now applying my heart to understanding, now what I want to do is I've accepted the words, I, I recognize that they're truth, I begin to cherish them, I store them in a place of, because I value them. I begin to turn my ear toward them as to listen. What do I want to do now? What's it say? Now I want to apply my heart to this. I want to take, I want to make an effort now to understand it, not just to accept it, not just to recognize their value and cherish them. Now I want to understand it. And I want to apply not just my intellect. That's the accepting. I want to apply my heart to the understanding. In other words, I want to take my mind. I want to take my life. And I want to begin to grab those words. And I want to begin to go, okay, what does this mean? How will this affect me? 
How will this might affect others? Look what it says now. If you accept my word, store up my commands within you, having cherished them, treasure them, and place them in a place of value, turn your ear to wisdom, apply your heart to understanding that. Indeed, now, if you'll call out for insight, not only then do I want to know and understand, I now want to know the nature of this thing. Show me, God, what it is. Show me your character and how I can become like this. You feel the intensity increasing? Look what it goes on to say. And if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Then you will understand his love. Then you will understand his wisdom. Then you'll get it. When? When you've made every effort. What does every effort look like? I hear the words and I accept them. And I begin to store them in my heart, recognizing there's value there. Then I begin to apply my heart and begin to go, okay, show me a deeper understanding. And now show me the nature of this thing. And now that I see and taste, listen, Psalm, Psalm 34, 8 says what? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now that I've tasted it and I see that it's good, I want more of it. Now I'm gonna search for it like silver. I'm gonna dig for treasure. Ice cream. Anybody here like ice cream? Oh, I love me some ice cream. Now, here's the deal. As my hair gets grayer, what hair I have left? And there's not much. But as my hair gets grayer, there's something that's happened in me. I've become more and more particular about things. I now understand why old guys get kind of grumpy. Because the fact of the matter is, is once you find what you like, that's all you want. Why in the world would I waste a moment on something I don't like? <laughs> older, older guys, is that true? You find, give me what I want. If I want to have a hot dog every night for dinner, doggone, I'm gonna have a hot dog. Leave me alone. I like them. I got six days left to live. Give me a hot dog. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, the older I get, the more particular I get. And the more particular I get, the narrower my scope is. And I just want what I want because I know I like it. And why screw around? Well, I like ice cream. One of my favorite ice creams was actually Cold Stone. And they have this German chocolate cake ice cream, which is fantastic. Coconutty and pecan and walnut and chocolate and brownie and right? Well, now I'm gluten-free. Guess what I can have? That ice cream. My wife is awesome. I call her a saint. You can too. She has to live with me. <laughs> you think it's tough to hear me on Sunday morning. You ought to live with me. So here's the deal. She is always searching. She, she, she just knows me. She knows the nature of who I am. And she is so incredibly considerate. I don't know a more considerate human being in the world than my wife. And she, whatever, for whatever reason, she remembers things that I might have said 17 years ago. And it just, all of a sudden, what it is I said 17 years ago, maybe even in passing, there it is on the table. Where'd you, I just knew you'd like it. So, Sherry, knowing that I love ice cream and that my, because I'm gluten-free now, my, my scope of ice cream is beginning to narrow. She's on search, she's searching for good ice cream. And she found this stuff, this company made Magnum or something, made this thing and she found these salted caramel chocolate over vanilla on a stick ice cream. And she bought them and man, were they good. They were really good. She kept buying them for me. I thought, these are good. Then I went shopping with her. And right next to these salted caramel ones was something even better. It's called infinity. And there's a reason they're called infinity. Because the taste lasts forever. Mm. Crazy. Dark chocolate ice cream with dark, dark, like fudge through them, covered with dark chocolate with dark chocolate chips and cocoa beans all on the same stick. It's crazy. And I said, can I try those? I'm like a five-year-old. Can I? <laughs> yes, honey, you can try those. And so we, I almost unwrapped it right in the store. We took them home and I ate one. <laughs> there will never be another ice cream in my refrigerator. It's ridiculous. And the more I eat them, the better they get. The taste just continues to go blam. So, you know how she buys them now? Don't go to Meyer. When she sees them in the freezer, she buys every box. 
This is what she did. I was just shopping with her. And she goes like this. She goes into the thing, and there's like six boxes. She goes, here, take these. Oh, wait, there's one way back here. And it's empty. She says, I want to make sure they keep ordering it. You know, because we usually you find something you like, and then the store stops getting it. She said, no, I'm going to make sure they know somebody likes this stuff. <laughs> so in my freezer, I'm not kidding you, I got eight boxes of these things. <laughs> and they do not get old, man. These things are phenomenal. I made the mistake of letting my kids have them. Terrible idea. <laughs> now they, like, stand at the front window and go, <laughs> I'm so glad they're called infinity. You know why? Because they taste like ice cream that God would eat. <laughs> and I'm telling you what. When we begin to learn how to love like God loves, when we begin to dig into his word, and we start searching for it like silver and treasure, and we start getting that more and more, you know what we're going to do? We're going to buy up every box. We're going to buy up every box because it won't get old. It is tasting God. Infinity. Forever. It's crazy. Don't go to Meyer. <laughs> You'll see an empty, an empty slot. Actually go and say, we need more of those infinity bars, man. You need to put like six shelves of those in. I realize that that's kind of a funny example, but the fact of the matter is, is what I want us to understand is this. When we learn to dig for God this way and learn to experience his love that way and then learn how to express his love that way, you know what it's like? It's like something that just tastes so good every time you eat it, you gotta get more. And you're not gonna deviate from that diet. You're gonna become particular. You're not going to let any. You're not going to waste another moment, not another taste bud, not another calorie on something that tastes half as good. You won't do it. God promises that. Taste and see that I'm good. Turn to Proverbs chapter eight, if you would. This making sense this morning? We're going to start at verse 1. Because I want us to see some things. I want us to get this. Okay, now we've been talking about this need for us to get after God and to make every effort. We need to make every effort to add to our faith all these things. And if we'll do that, it'll keep us from being ineffective and unproductive in our relationship with him. We want to be productive. We want to be effective. We want to please God. We want to do these things. He's given us. He has given us. Listen, it's, ah, why, is it, why does he say make every effort? One of the things I want us to understand is this. God isn't playing hide and seek. God does not play hide and seek. We don't have, he's not calling us to make every effort because he's hard to find. He's telling us you need to, make, need to make every effort because what I'm asking you to look for is completely contrary to your own desires. What I'm asking you to look for is completely contrary to your own flesh. What I'm asking you to look for is completely contrary to your own will. Because as we grow in wisdom and we dig after God and we begin to learn who he is, our flesh is going to fight that. What does it say in Galatians 5? What the Spirit wants for me is contrary to the flesh, and the flesh was contrary to the Spirit, and we're always in conflict. Listen to me. The every effort has nothing to do with the fact that God is hiding, and we have to somehow find him. It has to do with the fact that our flesh doesn't want it. And so we have to make that every effort is to war against the flesh to keep us from going our own way, that we might dig after God and find out what's really good. You know what I can't eat anymore? A dilly bar from Dairy Queen. You know why? That tasted great until I had infinity. And I'm going, are you kidding me? Not even close. I'm not going to waste another moment on a dilly bar. I got infinity. Right? No, di right. no different than our lives here now. When we get after God and we begin to taste God and see that he's good, nothing else will taste as good. Nothing else. Everything else becomes a really pale imitation. But get this, okay? Please get this. God is not hiding. Every effort is not because he can't be found. 
In fact, he desperately wants to be found. Not only does he desperately want to be found, he's standing here calling out and saying, come to me, and our flesh is going eat, and we'll go everywhere our flesh drags us. So the every effort, that intensifying effort, is not because God can't be found, doesn't want to be found, or is playing hide and seek. It's because our flesh doesn't want it, and we have to fight that. Does that make sense? So let me show you something. This is how badly God wants to be found. You ready? Verse 1. Proverbs 8. That's not dance music. Okay, so look at verse 1. It says, does not God call out, does not, excuse me, wisdom call out? Does not wisdom do what? Call out. Does not understanding do what? Raise her voice. Look what it says. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the city gate, beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance, she cries aloud to you, O people. Listen, God is crying out to us. His love cries out to us. His wisdom cries out to us. And it is everywhere we can look. Every time we open our eyes, God's wisdom is waiting there to be found, calling out to us. The reason we have to make every effort, the reason we have to intensify our effort has nothing to do with God not being able to be found or him wanting for some reason for us to pretend, you know, not know that he's there. In fact, he's calling out to us. What he wants us to do is say, I love you, by putting our flesh to the side and running after him. He wants us to put away the dilly bar and come after infinity. Does that make sense? He's saying, put the imitation down. Come to me. Do not be tempted by the things the world offers that are temporary. And come to me. Don't, don't gratify the flesh where there'll be destruction and hurt. Come to me. Look at what it says. Band, go ahead and get in place if you would. It says, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city at the entrance, she, she cries aloud. To you, O people, I cry out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain what? Prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on this. Listen, for I have, a tr I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true. For my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right, and they are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Do we know that when we seek wisdom, we are seeking the very mind of God? When we seek love, we're seeking the heart of God. When we seek wisdom, we're, we're going after the mind of God. And the two of them are intrinsically linked. They are married to one another. How do I know that? Look what it says next. I, wisdom, dwell together with what? Prudence. We cannot be wise if we will not be prudent. We will not act wisely if we do not develop prudence. Look what it says. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. There is beauty in this that our ability to walk like and love like God, to love wisely, has everything to do with our willingness to develop prudence, to dig into what God has for us, to put away the stuff of this world and to grab a hold of what he has and to run after him and to intensify the search. And again, the intensity of that search is not because he can't be found. It's because our flesh will fight against it. Our desires will fight against it. Our own will will fight against it. My desire, my heart's, my spirit's desire is that I would love every person I come in contact with according to their bent, their nature. I don't always want to do that. My flesh would rather just do what it does. 
The spirit in me says, no, meet them where they are. No, be patient with them. No, tolerate. No, be kind. My flesh says, I need something from you. My flesh says, I want something from you. My flesh says, please, you're making me tired. The spirit in me says, stop, pray, consider, care, love. Open your eyes. So, one last thing. I'm going to read a couple verses to you because I want to make sure that we couch this rightly. I'm going to make a statement. Learning to grow in prudence and wisdom does not mean uh, don't love, don't help, or don't give. It means learn prudence and grow in discernment. It means to, to continue to grow in our ability. So I'm going to read a couple verses to us. Deuteronomy 15.7 says this. If there's a poor man with you, one of your brothers in many, one of your brothers in any of your towns in your land with the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother. In other words, if you see the poverty, you meet the poverty. Proverbs 21.13 says this. He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself, and he will not be answered. James 2 puts it this way. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you tells him, go in peace, stay warm and well-fed, but does nothing to provide for his physical needs, what good is that? James goes on to say, if anyone then knows the good things they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. 1 John 3 puts it this way. This is how we know what love, what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. It doesn't mean, learning prudence doesn't mean we just stop everything and we don't, we don't meet needs. We're called to obey, and it's never wrong to obey the Scriptures. What it means is over time we grow in discernment and we grow in prudence and we grow in care. We grow in our prayer lives. We, we learn to see, okay, is meeting this need mean I give you a sandwich or does it mean I say no to you today? Did somehow me doing this enable you or did this actually meet your need? Sometimes the, most, the, 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 the greatest expression of love, listen, sometimes the greatest expression of love is no. I can't. No, I won't. No, you can't. But that's, take, that takes time. It takes consideration. It takes care. It takes prayer. It takes a willingness. It takes digging deep into wisdom, seeking both the heart and the mind of Christ. Does this make sense this morning? May we grow in wisdom, and may we grow in prudence, but may we also be the extension of God's generous and gracious hands to do that which he's called us to do. Because, listen, because he's done it for us. And he's done it in us. And now he wants to do it through us. Amen? Let's stand and sing.